doing Samson. Tell me some things that are unusual about the story of Samson. Think, I mean, we've done a lot of judges. In fact, we've done every all the other judges are done now. So, tell me some things with Samson's story that's different from that of the other judges. All right, he's the only judge we have that was a Nazarite. Yeah. Angel to announce to his mother. Yeah, the only judge we have whose birth was announced in advance. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. He didn't do a lot of actual judging. <laughs> <laughs> if judge means leader, we don't find him leading much. <laughs> he, he, he led his one-man army. <laughs> his death is obviously different. Yeah. He, he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. Um, I don't. Yeah. And we've got more chapters on him than on any other single judge. Um, does that? Would you say he was the best judge there was? <laughs> Nobody's going to say that. <laughs> more chapters. His birth was announced. I mean, this is very strange. I mean, think about this. His, his very birth was announced. He's a Nazarite for life. He's given more chapters. Every little detail, it seems like, of his life is given. And yet, not one of you is willing to tell me he was the best judge. And I'm not going to tell you that either. I, <laughs> I mean, the guy goes to a prostitute, and he almost gets nailed by the Philistines, so you know, he uses great strength to get away. I mean, this is a judge... <laughs> well, we do see pictures of Jesus in some of these details. Samson, a picture of Jesus? <laughs> yeah, the birth to his mother. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he, he sought a, uh, he tore the gates off the city. His bride was, was basically a, a sinner, captive in, to Satan, in a sense. And now think about his death. Yes. In he his death, yeah. he was conquering the enemy of God's people. Yeah, and he, you know, in in gaining the victory over over the God's the enemy of God's people, that's why he died. I mean, it's yes, exactly. He is a shadow of Christ, um, and we've got to talk about this because um, kind of like a nicer guy than that to be a shadow of Christ, wouldn't you? <laughs> Although, who could ever be a perfect shadow of Christ? I mean, if they were a perfect shadow of Christ, they'd have to be Christ, wouldn't they? I mean. Every shadow of Christ you have in the Old Testament is is a flawed person. Um, I mean, think of the one that is most commonly associated with Jesus. In fact, Jesus was very often called the son of this person. David. David, yeah. Yeah, many times people called Jesus son of David. And David certainly was a shadow of, uh, of Jesus. Um, but has any person in, in that would be considered a faithful person of God ever committed a worse sin than what David did in the Old Testament? I mean, just it was terrible, you know, murdering a guy so he could take his wife and not get caught. I mean, it was wow. You and, and God, God has done this on purpose. I mean, it, it, we, the lesson for us is that. Apart from God, we're all just like Samson. We're flawed people. Um, 
But let's go a little bit deeper into this thing with with Samson and this matter of what he symbolized. Um, We said he was a a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite for life. Can you name me any other Nazarites for life in the Bible? John the Baptist was, yes. Uh, I can think of one other. Um, that was Samuel. We're going to get to him pretty, in fact, next week. All three of those men had births that were definitely gifts of God. In every case, the mother couldn't have a child and had gone a long time without having a child and God grants it. In two of those cases... God sent an angel to announce that birth. Uh, Samson and John the Baptist. Now, let me ask this. Can you name me anybody else who was not a Nazarite whose birth was announced by an angel? Yeah, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, Abraham and Sarah. Um, she had gone way past the age when she could have children. And the angel comes and announces it. And there is a connection here. Um, now her son was named what? Isaac. Isaac, that's right. And from Isaac came then Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. You have the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel's purpose was to be a nation that was a Nazarite to God. Now I don't mean that the, nobody in the nation was allowed to cut their hair. What I mean is the nation was specially devoted to God. They belong to God, and, and, and their purpose was to be this holy nation to God. Just like Samson. And Samson was designed to illustrate what Israel was supposed to be. Um, do you remember a time when, when Samson killed a whole lot of guys? How many? 1,000. Now, think about in the book of Deuteronomy a statement about Israel that also had that same number in it. Does anyone recall? One of you will chase a thousand of the enemy. Yeah. I don't think it's an accident that Samson kills exactly a thousand here. Samson is illustrating what was predicted of, of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. One of you will chase a thousand. Uh, Samson could only do that through God. Samson couldn't do that on his own. In fact, in that particular story, which takes place, I think, in chapter 15, um, at the very end of that, after he killed the thousand with, you know, with this jawbone of a donkey, he's about to die of what? Thirst. Thirst, yeah. And he, and he asked God, you know, you're, you're probably this far, you know, you're not going to die now, please. And God then miraculously gave him some water from the rock. And, it, and it's an indi- indication that at, at least at one time in his life, Samson understood where his strength came from. This was a gift from God. This was not something he owned himself. Um, and at that point, at verse 20, so he judged Israel 20 years in the days of affliction. It's, it's like, this is the story that, of Samson, the true judge. And now chapter 16, of course, goes, you know, a sad decline and, and serious failure. But think about Samson in terms of a picture of Israel. And they did just like Samson did. I mean, we find Samson growing up and one of the first things he does is he wants to marry a Philistine. 
Now, what's God say about that? No, you can't. You can't intermarry with the Canaanites. And it's disaster when they do. Um, you remember how um, the Midianites, back in the days of Moses, the Midianites had sent their women in to, to entice the men into sinning with their idols. And it had cost a, a lot of lives. But the, the Israel continued to do that. They, just, they continued to intermingle with the people, with the, these Canaanite idolaters. And it was the downfall of Israel. It was the downfall of Samson. And we find Samson using his great strength, God-given strength as, his, as this amazing Nazarite, we find him time and again using his gifts selfishly, just for himself. Israel did that throughout their, their period of history. In fact, in the days of Jesus, um, the, the Pharisees, the, they considered all these gifts from God to be theirs. You remember the Pharisees that went up in the temple you know, and prayed, I, you know, I thank you, I'm not like all these other people. His attitude was, God had blessed him because he was so great. And God had blessed him because he was going to use all these things for himself. And, and God's purpose for Israel was not that at all. God's purpose for Israel was so they would be a light to the Gentiles, to all the nations. Now, if you can see the, how, the, how Samson's life really is designed to be a picture of Israel with all its flaws, we also need to consider the fact that Israel is designed to be a picture of the church. And that we today can fall into the exact same errors that Samson did and that Israel did. And we can, we can start turning inward and, and saying, oh, all these blessings are so wonderful, God. This is just great. I'm thank, thankful you've blessed me. And forget about the fact that we're not here for ourselves. We're here to be a light to the nations. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, you know, things like that from the Sermon on the Mount. So the, the, sermon, the, the lesson of Samson is intended to be shocking. It's, it's intended that when we read this story, we say... I can't believe anybody could be like that that was so well blessed by God. It's, it's just trying to make us look at ourselves. Alright, let's... Um... <laughs> uh, high tech. What's the point? <laughs> um... Yeah, I just wanted to show you where these things happen. What tribe was Samson from? Oh, what? No, sorry. It's a good guess because he was in the area of Judah, but no. <laughs> he was of the tribe of Dan, which is kind of odd. In a little, little, little tribe, you hardly ever hear about them. But yeah, Samson was from, from the tribe of Dan. Um, and the Philistines were all along the coast here. There's a Sorek River. Remember how Samson loved a woman from the Valley of Sorek? <laughs> what, what was her name? Delilah. Yeah, that was his downfall, of course. Um, and um, we don't have the little town that, uh, that this woman was from that he first married. Um, Timnath's... Um, uh, uh, Timna, sorry, yeah, Timna, yeah, well, that's not on the map. But um, when when uh, when he lost his bet with the uh, 
with those 30 Philistines, he went down to the city of Ashkelon and killed 30 guys to get their clothes um, to pay it off. So this is, this is the area of, the, uh, of where Samson was. And Gaza was where he, he visited the prostitute and then when they were going to trap him in the town, he, he tore the gates off and carried him to a mountain that was facing Hebron over here. And when, um, after he burned the Philistine crops, um, he went into the area of Judah. I, I don't know where I'm at, but um, the Philistines came in and, and uh, uh, attacked Judah. And then the people of Judah said, Well, why are you attacking us? Well, we come to get Samson. So they basically said, Well, hey, we'll get, you, we'll get him for you. They sent 3,000 guys to get Samson, which is another interesting shadow of Jesus where you have the people of Israel handing over their leader to the enemy so the enemy can put him to death. <laughs> now in this case, it, it, it didn't quite work the way they planned. Um, but it, it, again, you just have one sad, sad picture after another where Israel even rejects their own judge. Um, and this this reminds us of Stephen's sermon and how he showed time and again that Israel didn't like the person that God had picked to be their judge. And the same thing is going on with Samson. Um, Samson is fighting against their enemy, but in the process he's stirring up a hornet's nest for them, and they don't like the hornets, so get rid of the, the leader who, who's causing the trouble. Just a sad picture of what it is. And um, so finally, we come to the chapter 16, the sad end of Samson, where um, he. Um, I, it never says he marries this woman, he's just living with her, apparently. And uh, she cares more about the 1,100 pieces of silver than she does about Samson. 1,100 pieces of silver was a lot of money. I mean, we're talking about multiple years' wages. I mean, this was a fortune. Um, so that, you know, the Philistines really valued him highly. They, you know, wanted dead or alive sort of thing. And um, she can always get herself some other man, I'm sure. But where, where should she get 1,100 pieces of silver again? <laughs> so, uh, and Samson, of course, you know, we, we read the story, we say, Samson, you big dummy. <laughs> um, and I think the key to you know why is he a big dummy um, is uh, let me see the first here um, verse 16 she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death <laughs> she was wearing him out um, and I don't think he really believed that he would lose his strength if they shaved his head. I don't think he believed that. Um, otherwise, I just cannot imagine he would have done this. But he was, he was just getting closer and closer to trifling with holy things. And... And what he said wasn't exactly the truth even. When he says, if I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I'll become weak and be like any other man. Because what really happened um, is in verse 20, at the end of verse 20, 
He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. His strength was not in his hair. His strength was in the Lord. What he didn't realize was that the way he was behaving, he was causing the Lord to, to depart. He, he was not treating what was holy in a holy manner. Um, and so he gets brought down so far. And this again was a picture of Israel. I mean, we're, later on we're going to read some very sad stories about just how far down and how great was the suffering of Israel when, when they forsook God. But here he gets caught. He has, they put his eyes out. They shackle him with bronze chains and they make him grind um, grain in the prison. You know, walking round and round and round like a donkey. Um, but sometimes that's what it takes to get someone to repent, and that's exactly what happened with with Samson. He did repent, and and that repentance, I think, was symbolized by the fact that his hair started growing again. Um, this is not magic hair. Um, this is just symbolizing what's going on in his heart. And so when um, when he finally gets his chance to avenge the loss of his eyes on the Philistines, he knows where the strength is going to come from. It's going to come from God. And, and that's who he asks, and that's, and then he says, "Let me die with the Philistines," which is what happens. So Samson's a story of what could have been, really, what could have been, a man that had that kind of power from God, if he'd really used it for God. Or just imagine how he could have defeated the enemies of God's people. But he behaved like the whole nation behaved. And it was sad as a result. Any questions on on Samson? Alright. Well, last time we, we're going to do the outline on Judges. We've been in this section for a long time. Chapters 3 through 16. Oppression by nations and deliverance by judges. All different kinds of judges. All different nations. But always the same reason. What was the reason they were getting depressed? Yeah, they'd sinned by worshiping the idols of the of the Canaanites. Now we have this epilogue, two two stories, which are are about the saddest stories in the whole book. And um, in fact, that second one, I find it's just a hard one even to read. It's so disgusting. There's a reason for this. I mean, the author knows that these are terrible stories he's putting in here. But they are designed to show what was going on in the nation at the time. They're, they're not in chronological order here. Um, but, but both of them probably had happened quite, quite early in, in, uh, in section two. But the author has picked them out because they really typify... The, the degradation going on. First of all, the first episode is, is religious degradation. And the second episode is moral degradation. What's degradation? Degradation is just how far you get. Just get you, you know, have you heard the term degraded? If something's really degraded, it just is awful. And, you know, the, they were just... Um, they, they, religiously, they were, they were in bad shape. Morally, they were in terrible shape. It's just a very sad picture, and and 
it's, it's summarized by the last verse of the, of the whole book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That phrase is used. We see that several times. Yeah, that's not the only time in the book. That's right. And that's, that's really the story of the book of Judges. There was, of course, God was supposed to be their king, but he wasn't, they weren't having him as a king either. They were just doing their own thing. So, um, let me go back to our map. And we'll talk about Micah a little bit. Micah is from the hill country of Ephraim, which is somewhere in this neighborhood. I don't remember if it gives us a town or not. Um, and the story starts out with him being what? Yeah, he's a thief. <laughs> and, yeah, when she put him under oath, he did admit. And so she was so happy about it that she dedicated the silver to the Lord. She, she, she I mean, we're, this whole story is a story of superstition. I mean, the people, yes, they're worshiping the Lord, Jehovah. But not in the way he is asked. I mean, it's in a very superstitious way. And so... Um, yeah, we're going to want to worship the Lord, so let's make a graven image and a molten image to worship God with. <laughs> so he did. And and you, I assume most people understand they didn't have coins in those days. When it says 1,100 pieces of silver, it doesn't mean 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That's the weight of the silver. And and so they, you know, you could take this silver and you could give it to the silver and then you can melt it down and make make an idol out of it, you know, you're not really damaging any coins or defacing American currency or something like that. Um, uh, and now he's got this silver, these silver idols and he consecrated one of his sons to be his priest until he had a, a chance to upgrade, <laughs> get, get a better priest because down here just, just a little bit south of Jerusalem is the city of Bethlehem and there was a Levite who was living in Bethlehem but he wasn't. I don't know. He didn't have. It. He wasn't making his living very well. So he was just wandering around trying to find a place and happened upon Micah's house. And Micah was just delighted. Wow, Levite! This is great. If I have a Levite for my priest, then the Lord's surely going to bless me. You know, nothing but superstition. Just superstition. Well, that's not why the story's here. The story's really here because of what happens after that. And there is a tribe. What's the name of this tribe that's looking for a place? Dan. Yeah, the Danites, I mean, they had a nice territory, but it was just um, thick with Canaanites, and, and they didn't feel like they were strong enough to deal with them, and they were getting shoved into smaller and smaller areas. So they sent out uh, a search party to find an, a place for them uh, where they could go, and they ended up... They ended up way up at the north part, way up here in the city of Laish. And they decided they could they were strong enough to conquer the city of Laish. These were Canaanites. They were actually connected with um, Tyre and Sidon uh, over here on the coast, which they would never dream of trying to attack Tyre, way too too strong. But Laish was far enough away that you know no one was going to come to their, their aid in time to save them. What? They never bothered anybody. They were a peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, 
Is there anything in this whole story about the Danites that makes you like them and think that they're great people? <laughs> Good, we're in agreement. <laughs> they're they're big jerks. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to get worse. I mean, if, if if you've got problems with this story, ugh, it just yeah, it's just terrible. Like, so the six hundred men who are going to go attack Laish, on the way they they turn in and they steal Micah's silver idols plus his Levite. And and poor Micah feels terrible. You know, that, and now what does he have? You know, the Lord's not going to bless him anymore. And and but now this this Levite guy, he's he's now priest to a whole tribe. I mean, he got a big promotion. <laughs> and this town is, is from then on named Dan, from which we get the term from Dan to Beersheba. Dan in the north, and off here at the bottom of the map is Beersheba. And from then from then on, there's really been idolatry going on in Dan. Um, we'll see this later on in the divided kingdom. So religiously, the people are degraded. They're in, they're in terrible shape. Morally, chapter 19 and on is a, just a very disgusting story. Um, this um, um, is a Levite in the hill country of Ephraim who had a concubine. Now, Concubines back then meant a little bit different than they do today. A concubine was a wife. She, it was a legal marriage, but she was uh, she did not have the same status as a full wife. She was uh, very very often she was a slave, a slave wife. Um, but that is just that has kind of a long story about how he goes and gets her back when she didn't want to stay with him. But really, the whole thing is to try to lead up to the sin of the um, the city of uh, Gibeah, which is um, <coughs> see, it's in the tribe of Benjamin. I think it's somewhere it's, it's somewhere that's sort of the south part of Benjamin. I don't see it on this map, Gibeah, and and their sin really was the only place I could find to match it is to go way way back in the book of Genesis with what. Yeah, they're doing exactly the same thing that Sodom and Gomorrah would have done to those angels, except that the angels were a lot stronger than they ever thought. And they would have done that to this guy, except he sacrificed his concubine to save his own life. Um, which was the exact same thing Lot was going to do. He was going to sacrifice his daughter to save the lives of those, um, of those angels. Um, and so they ended up torturing her to death and he then adopted a, a pretty shocking way to let the rest of the nation know he chopped her up into 12 pieces and sent the pieces around to the 12 tribes telling them what are you going to do about this and this is an illustration of even, of what happens even with a very degraded people um, you can get people that they're They'll do just about anything. They're, they have very little faith. But along comes something that is just very, very shocking to them. And they just get enraged. And that's what happened here. And, and, and I think if you'll think about it, in this country that's happened a few times. Where, I mean, we live in a society today that almost anything goes. But every so often, something will make the national news that will just galvanize the whole nation and everyone is just so angry about this. And, um, 
And then they go overboard in their anger. Just, just exactly what happened here. Um, uh, so you have the, the, Gib, the people of Gibeah just morally being right back down there with Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have um, the people of, of Israel getting together and they're going to punish Gibeah. Which would have worked fine if it hadn't been the whole tribe of Benjamin got behind Gibeah and said, no, you're not touching our guys. So then they had to attack the whole tribe. And what happened the first time they attacked them? They lost thousands. Twenty-some thousand, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but that didn't stop them. They, they, they prayed some more, tried again, and what happened the second time? Aren't they doing what God wants them to do? I mean, doesn't what God want them to punish this terrible sin? What's going on here? Why are they having... I mean, they've already lost more people than probably the whole population of that town. What's going on? Okay. Well, they're asking God, and God says, "Go." Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, the same as um, maybe it's on the lines of um, what was his name? That he only has three hundred men. Gideon. Well, yeah, I can't really connect it with that one, but um, I would suggest that. What they were doing was very different than going up against the Canaanites. I mean, they're going up against their own people. Now, they needed to do that. I mean, there's no question they needed to do that. But I think God wanted them to understand the pain of what they were doing. I mean, it's very easy to do something like this casually. Um, And I mean, in our own country, when when people get so upset, I mean, there's times when... um, They'll just be asking for, you know, and you can read about this in the paper and, you know, in the evening news and all this. They'll be asking for the, the most dire punishments to be put on people. And, you know, torture to torture the person to death, that would be too good for this person. I mean, you, you can hear statements like that and people just saying extreme things. And, and that was what was going on here. And God wanted the people to realize the pain of having to discipline your own body. And that's what was happening. The, the Israel was having to discipline their own body. And, and we need to understand that there's times when we have to do that in the church. It's called withdrawal. But if we go into this casually, you know, who cares about this person? Just write them off. We're, we're not, our heart is not where God's heart is. We have to understand the very serious pain of this. And so finally, of course, the third time they were successful, and this time they were so angry, they didn't stop just wiping out Gibeah. They were so angry. This is what I've been trying to talk about. How you know you, you have these people that are so degraded, but every so often something that just really gets their attention, and then they just go wild, just slaughter the whole whole tribe. Where they ended up, there was not a woman or a child left alive in all of Benjamin. There were only how many men of Benjamin left alive? 
Just 600. And, uh, and the only reason they were alive is because <laughs> they managed to get to the top of a rock where they, no one could get to them. <laughs> um, yeah, they were the fastest runners. That was what it was. And then you get this extreme opposite reaction. Oh no, what have we done? We've lost a whole tribe out of Israel. That can't be. And then we learn that they had made this extreme vow. Nobody's going to give their daughter in marriage to anybody in Benjamin. And so they go, they do a bunch of other really extreme things. I mean, killing everybody in the city of Jabesh Gilead because they didn't send someone to the to be part of this. I mean, the only reason they're doing that is so they can pick up a few wives with these guys. I mean, it's just a terrible thing. And then when that fails to get enough, they arrange this um, subterfuge where the men of Benjamin can steal wives, just go and kidnap these girls, and and you know they'll make it right with the, with the dads. I mean, it's just a very sad picture. Um, so morally. The nation is in terrible shape. Spiritually, they're in terrible shape. Religiously, they're in terrible shape. That's the picture of the book of Judges. Any questions before we leave that? Yeah, Tracy. Yeah, I'm wondering when they worshipped, well, when they, um, I don't know where it is, but when the Levite in Shiloh, I don't know where it is, he offered. Um, the judges. I mean, Phinehas was was alive in the days of Moses. You remember when he's the guy that speared those people? Yeah. Um, and and certainly they were still they, Shiloh. The tabernacle was at Shiloh. I mean, they were. This was all part of their standard, you know, their regular point of worship. It's just that the people themselves had just fallen so far away from the standard that God had placed for them. Yeah. Is that what you were asking about? Yeah. I just okay. Yeah. So this was earlier in the book. Yeah, that's what I, that's why I was explaining. The appendix is not in chronological order. We're just picking up a couple of stories just to illustrate how bad things got and how bad they were during this period of really several hundred years of the judges. Yeah. You think Samson was after that? Oh yes, I think Samson was at Samson's life overlapped Samuel's. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's entire it's it's probable. That at the time that he killed all those people, remember that they were in the house of uh, Dagon, who was the fish god. Dagon was the guy in, in he, he was the idol in First Samuel who fell over on his face and his head got chopped off in front of the ark. Probably that ark thing had happened before Samson killed all these people in that temple. I mean, there's a, that's that's the way the chronology actually works. Mother from Williams of a Jew that was stolen or from one of the foreign 
Oh, oh, no, no, Samson was from the tribe of Dan, not from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, but, it, but it may well be that he was born after part of the tribe had moved up to the city of Dan. In fact, it's, it's very, very likely that that had already happened before that. Yeah. Now, if you want someone from Benjamin, you'll have to wait till King Saul. He was from Benjamin. Yeah. Samuel was alive before Samson died. Right. Yeah, very likely. <coughs> very likely he was. Okay, we got to talk about a lovely little book. And we've got a big long outline for just a very short <laughs> story. Um, the Book of Ruth is another one of these books that takes place somewhere in the time of uh, the Judges. And um, we can guess that it was toward the end, given the, the chronology at the end, that um, the son of Ruth was named Obed. Obed's son was Jesse, and who was Jesse? Father of David. Father of David, yeah. So that sounds like it's pretty close to the end. Although, keep in mind that, that they don't always give you every name in a, in a genealogy. So I can't guarantee that there was not some more names that we don't know about in between there. Um, but in Judges we have the really bad picture of what was going on. In Ruth we have a good picture of what's going on. There's still some faithful yeah, there's still some faithful people in Israel. That's exactly right. Um, and so the story starts out with um, a famine in the land. And, you know, the fam- famine is going to be caused by either a drought or by enemies coming in. And this could have been a combination of both. We don't know what. Um, but they uh, they decided they needed to move. Uh, Elimelech, was that the name of the guy? Um, yeah, Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their sons. They're living in Bethlehem, which is a little bit south of Jerusalem. And where do they leave, where do they go to to avoid the family? Yeah, which is, is this nation down here. Um, Moab was not a Canaanite nation, um, but it was also not one of their nations, and I, I'm, I'm not sure God was very happy with this move. Um, Naomi kind of thinks God wasn't very happy with it. She she sees the you know the things that happened to her as being kind of a judgment of God on her. With um, her her husband died and her two sons died. I mean, this this didn't work out the way they planned. But in the process, she got a couple of daughters-in-law, and one of them. Apparently, God converted, and the story of Ruth primarily is not intended to be a love story. I mean, I know that's the way everyone reads it, but that's not the that's not the main point of it. I'm sure there's love involved, but the main point is is Ruth and her conversion to the faith of Israel. You know, your God will be my God, she says, and and by that time she'd been around her mother-in-law long enough to know who that God was. And she was making a, a very great sacrifice in, in, in coming back with her mother-in-law because um, once she gets back to Israel, she's going to be a foreigner. And they, Israel never did treat foreigners very well, although in the law they were told to be kind to the stranger, which means a foreigner. Um, but she's coming back to a life of poverty and and... and to some extent, a life of rejection by the people of of her mother-in-law's town. 
but she has faith. And, and this is the only book in the Bible that is devoted to the story of a woman. Um, and to the Jews in the Old Testament, I'm sure that this is the story of the ancestor of who? Of David. Yes, that, that's the reason why they would have they would have valued this story. To us, they, it has an even higher purpose. And what is that? Jesus. Yeah, to Jesus. And and we see just how worthy is this ancestor of Jesus. Here we have this foreign, and and in, in the genealogies, there are several foreigners. Uh, Tamar is another one. Um, uh, and here's this foreigner who adopts the, the religion of Israel. She she worships the true God, and, and she really and her behavior throughout is just is very good. Um, she. She is showing herself as being a person of faith, and Boaz sees that. Um, and so, when um, when she starts gleaning in, in his field just by, you know, accident, <laughs> she just go by, by accident. She goes to his field, and I, I say accident in that God's the one that directs these things. It's not an accident to God. But Boaz sees, you know, who's, who's this person? I've never seen her before. In small enough town, I'm sure he knows everybody. But when he hears who it is, he he knows he's heard the story. And he appreciates what she's done. She's come back to take care of her uh, widowed uh, mother-in-law. And then as he watches her behavior over the next couple of months, because the harvest for the barley and then the wheat would have taken a couple of months, he watches her behavior over this time. He continues to be impressed with her as a, as a person who has character. Um, I mean, she, she's, she's come to serve the true God and she's behaving like a servant of the true God. Boaz too is, is shows himself to be a servant of the true God. Um, when when he goes out to meet his um, his workers, he says, "May the Lord be with you," and they say, "May the Lord bless you." I mean, uh, you know, there's there's spirituality here. And then, of course, he commands his 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 workers to be nice to this lady, and in fact, actually help her out. And, and and I'm not convinced at this point that this is some kind of romantic thing. I think he's using this as an opportunity to help someone he sees as in need and worthy of, of help. You know, throw some extra grain out. <laughs> and, and don't rebuke her when she comes in and even you know, comes right next to the sheaves and starts gleaning. And, so she, and of course, when she got home the first, the first night, her mother-in-law can see something's going on here because you, know, you, you couldn't have possibly cleaned that much or, you know, or in the ordinary place. And so she praises Boaz. She understands Boaz as a, as a great person of faith when he behaves like this. Well, she does mention that too, and, and I don't know if I, by the end of the of the harvest she's she's come up with this thought that um, and I don't again I'm not sure whether she th- thinks that Boaz is in love with Ruth or if he just if she just sees that Boaz is a man of faith who will do what the law asks him to do. Now in fairness the law didn't specifically ask him to marry um, to marry Ruth, uh, the, the, there is a, there was a law of Levirate marriage, which says if a, if a man dies childless, his brother is to marry the widow. Boaz is not the brother uh, of Ruth's uh, dead husband, so he was not strictly speaking he was not strictly speaking obligated to marry Ruth, um, but he was willing to do it. 
And his reasons were the same as the reasons that were given for the brother marrying that, that woman. He wanted to raise up a child to the name of the dead husband so that a family would not get put out in Israel. It, it, their, their land wouldn't go out. It was very important uh, that each family have descendants that would carry on the family name. And, and so Boaz was, was following the spirit of the law even as he was going beyond the letter. He, you know, the letter didn't specifically require him to do this, but he was willing to do it. And of course, he wouldn't have done this for just anybody. He recognized that she was a person of character, and, and he said, everybody in town knows that you are a person of character, or a virtuous woman, I forget how he puts it. Uh, and, and basically what he's saying is that um, you would be a credit as a wife. You know, this is, you know, and... and um, I think I mean, if she'd been some jerk asking for this, he would have said, you know, go back home. <laughs> but she had shown herself a person of faith, and so he was willing to work, to work with her to preserve the family name of, of Elimelech. And that's what happens. And, and, and of course, um, by the end of it, she has this, this son, and, and the grandson then turns, into, turns out to be um, David's father, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Any other questions, thoughts, comments? Well, now we start another history book, First Samuel, and this this one has a number of delightful stories in it. Although, it, again, it starts it starts at a very low point. I mean, morally, you can see just how low it is. Um, but we'll go into that next week. Appreciate everyone's help. You better restart your computer because I'm I have to I have to push that restart later to get